morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are during this holiday season. My name is Ali Amagasu, and you're listening to the latest episode of Cloud Unfiltered. Today on Cloud Unfiltered, we are going to continue the unexpected editorial tear we have been on exploring edge computing. Uh, you may think we are a sophisticated operation with a very tight editorial calendar that said edge computing is what we're covering during the winter season of 2018, but no, that is not the case. It has arisen entirely organically, and uh, we're enjoying it, so we're going to stay on that path for the moment. Today's guest is Matt Caulfield. He's a principal engineer at Cisco Systems. He specializes in cloud-native edge computing. Holy moly, we're going to talk about what on earth that all means in just a moment, but for now, welcome, Matt. Hi, Ali. Good to be here. Thank you. Nice to have you. And good morning, Pete. How are things in Michigan today? Things are snowy in Michigan, but I'm looking forward to another edge-tastic conversation here on Cloud Unfiltered. Woohoo! I understand things are snowy where you are as well, right, Matt? Yes, yeah, snow in November in New England. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Is that, is that unusual or no? A little bit. Usually we wait until uh, the holiday break, but yeah, this is good. We like it. I'm in Southern California, and while 70 and beautiful, it is a little bit hard to breathe still from the fire. So not as fabulous as we typically like to brag about during the winter while you all are slogging through the snow. Anyway, um, before we get started down that path and uh, talk about everything you know about Edge, tell us how you got into tech in the first place. Sure. Uh, so let's see. Uh, I actually got into tech via via Cisco. Uh, I joined Cisco actually right out of college. Uh, I went to Cornell uh, in upstate New York, where it was very very snowy all the time. Um, so this is a nice reprieve. But uh, I joined Cisco ten years ago through what was called the Cisco Choice Program, which uh, was this great program where you could actually choose what team you wanted to join and what location you would join in. And uh, from there, I chose actually to work on video uh, from the first half of my career at Cisco, focus on a bunch of different products for video processing, transcoding, packaging, all of these kind of video data plane moving bits around level. And then for the second half of my time at Cisco the past five years, I've really been focused on all things cloud, uh, all things OpenStack, Kubernetes, uh, cloud and data center infrastructure. Awesome. So were you a computer sciences major in college? Yeah, uh, I was a computer science and computer engineering major. And uh, I started in electrical, uh, <laughs> electrical hardware engineering and worked my way up the stack eventually into uh, programming computer science. And that's you know what I really enjoyed. So I, I kind of stuck there. But I've got a kind of a, a full stack approach uh, down from the electron quantum level on the hardware all the way up to the uh, all the way up to layer seven, I guess. Cool, cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. I I appreciate it. Um, so to get to today's topic du jour, um, I mean, what enticed me, the reason I had invited you on the show in the first place was I saw you had a talk coming up at KubeCon. Um, without getting too deep into what you're going to cover there, because that, that talk is still upcoming, although I will include the link to it late in, once, once you've done it, I'll include the link in the show notes for folks who watch this in the future. But uh, the title of the talk was engaging. It was clusters all the way down, crazy multi-cluster topologies. And this may be jumping ahead a bit in, in our technical discussion, but uh, what's that going to be about? And uh, why is that relevant to an edge guy? Right, right. Uh, so edge is ultimately a, a multi-cluster problem. Uh, and the, the, the talk is really all about that. Uh, essentially, uh, I'll be talking about how, OK, we not only have this problem where 
you need to run your application in a single data center in a highly available way. Uh, that's usually where teams start. Uh, but where they go from there is what gets really interesting. Uh, so they go from there into, okay, now we need an HA story that's geo-redundant. So let me run in Amazon East and Amazon West. And then they say, well, now we've got this application that's being used by people all over the world. So now I need a global data center story. So I suddenly have a dozen data centers all over the world running my application that are connected in some arbitrary topology. And then you know maybe they get up to something, I don't, I don't wanna say Google scale, but get closer to Google scale. And then they have the problem of, well, we've got a dozen data centers all over the world, but it's not enough. We need to get closer to the edge to handle the influx of all of this data and to reduce the latency between our application, our backend, and our clients that are out there all over the world. And then what does it look like? Well, edge computing almost needs to come into play, but when you're dealing with edge computing and these dozen data centers, how many clusters do you have now? Uh, it's not only a multi-cluster problem with a dozen different clusters, which is barely solved with the tools that we have today, but it's actually thousands of clusters all over the place. Uh, if you look at some of the stuff uh, that, that's out there where we're putting Kubernetes clusters into fast food restaurants and you have just 2,000 clusters in a fast food restaurant plus a private cloud plus a public cloud presence, it's not a problem that anybody has solved in any sort of consistent or, or meaningful way. Right now we have a bunch of bespoke approaches and uh, that's what we'll be un unpacking a bit when, uh, when I talk at KubeCon. Excellent. And Pete, before I let you ask your questions, I can see you're chomping at the bit. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I take it back. I'm going to let you ask. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, so, okay. So Matt, a wise man once said that uh, edge computing is extending the cloud to the network edge. Who was that wise man and has his definition changed since the bird of a feather session at KubeCon in the spring? <laughs> I guess that was me. Um, right. So I think that definition still holds true, extending cloud to the network edge, at least in, in an ideal world. Uh, I, I think that holds true. Um, since then, I actually don't use that as much anymore, although I still agree with it. Uh, what I, I find is a more precise definition and at the same time more generic and more broad is, uh, is edge is essentially everything that's not in the cloud. And every piece of compute that's not in the cloud uh, is edge computing. Uh, and then the question is, okay, then what is the cloud? And I don't have a good answer to that. Uh, but I know that everything that's not in the cloud is, is the edge. Uh, some people will define cloud as public cloud uh, you know, Amazon and Microsoft and Google and so on. Some people would also include private cloud in that definition. Right. Hmm. I didn't expect you to go inverse theorem on me <laughs> there by saying it's everything that's not in the public cloud. Because as Ali mentioned, this is our third straight edge conversation. And we've had, we've, we've had you, you know, it's a cutting edge technology when nobody agrees on the terms, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's like cloud computing in the early days. Yeah. So we've some one guest defined it as in in terms of milliseconds, right? In between mm -hmm. twenty and, and fifty milliseconds of latency between one device and another. Uh, a, a telco person would define that as like uh, putting putting mini mini cabinets at the base of cell phone towers again to try to achieve that that latency difference. And at Cisco, we like to remind people that, hey, you can put blades inside of routers and there's already routers in almost every building in the world. Right. You can do stuff like that. Um, so one of the questions you also posed at that bird of a feather that you know there were some interesting conversation around is, is it necessary to draw a distinction between edge computing and private cloud? So you just drew a distinction between edge computing and public cloud. 
but does that do those does that get muddy in there? Yeah, it, it does, because then you ask the question, okay, does private cloud belong in the edge bucket or the cloud bucket? And those are the only two buckets I've provided. Uh, so it, <laughs> uh, I don't have a good answer. Um, I think it's going to depend on the application, whether or not you treat your private cloud as a uh, as part of the cloud or as part of the edge. And I think that's going to come down to the requirements of the application. And yeah, right now it's just it's just muddy. I don't have a have a have a you know hard and fast rule for whether private cloud is cloud or whether it's edge. Okay. Well, let's 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 talk about those use cases then. So I'll pose the same scenario I posed to one of our other guests, which is, and you brought this up, the fast food analogy. Sure. So I'll, I'll even name names because I I live in upstate Michigan and in in kind of in the middle of nowhere in a resort town, and we have a Panera Bread. So okay. suppose I've got my Panera Bread mobile app, and Panera Bread wants to be able to make that experience as as clean as possible and as fast as possible. So instead of making my mobile app to make my order go up to the public cloud and all the latency that that would incur given the remote place that I live, it's right. got some, it's got some compute, it's got a cabinet there at my local store. And there's some mechanism that's just, you know, magic happens here kind of stuff for right now. My mobile app discovers that and that's, that's, my, that's, that's what my interaction happens. So how, how, how does that use case sort of get realized, do you think? And then what about the, the most obvious HA use case where, okay, what if their cabinet goes down, the next closest, the next closest location is a 45 minute drive away. So how right. does my mobile app discover, okay, you don't talk to the, the physically closest one because it's down, but now, I should go talk to the next closest one. So talk us right. through, through through some of those scenarios. Yeah, of course. So yeah, global load balancing, and this is really a global load balancing problem, is kind of uh, inherently built into edge computing. You have to solve that to make edge computing even worthwhile. Sure. Um, let's, I mean, we can talk about, okay, what would this look like without some kind of glo global load balancing platform? Uh, every request would probably originally go back to the cloud, and then the cloud would have to decide where to redirect that uh, request to get it to the closest edge. Um, that's not a bad solution. Uh, so at the HTTP level, for example, at the layer seven level, uh, you could be sending a request from your phone back to a centralized point in the cloud, and that cloud might have awareness of all of the Panera breads that are in Michigan. Some kind of, some kind of affinity map, right? Exactly, some kind of affinity map. And based on your IP address or other information about where the request came from, could go and redirect you with an HTTP redirect to the specific location uh, where that you know that Panera Bread that's that's closest to you, and and that's exactly how CDNs work work today. Um, you know, Akamai, Limelight, you know these other over the top CDNs, they they really rely on HTTP redirection, but they also rely on another technique, uh, which I think is also critical for global load balancing, and that t technique is AnyCast, uh, where we're actually relying on the IP network to help us find the closest location because the network knows what's close to each other. It has this concept of neighbors. And uh, in, in the network, you have all of these routers and between you and Panera's instance, probably in the public cloud somewhere, there are probably you know, between five and 10 routers in between. And each of those routers know that your packet is passing through them. So we can actually rely on those routers. And so what Anycast lets us do is uh, advertise routes uh, and their path to those routes. So you can you can choose the shortest path from your phone 
to the Panera backend. So your Panera in location A and location B would both be saying, hey, I'm running a service and it's available on IP address, you know, 1.1.1.1, uh, and uh, whichever router was closest to that, or which, <laughs> which, whichever Panera was closer to you is the one that would get your, your original request. And you'd probably start with DNS um, and then redirect to HTTP, and you would eventually, uh, we're probably getting in the weeds a little bit here, but through those layers, get your request to the closest location without having to go back to the public cloud. Well, so yeah, so that's a, so do you do the lookup in a public cloud with a brand new service or do you augment something like DNS so that it can now handle this new use case that we didn't have, you know, 30 years ago when DNS was invented? Yeah, I think you modify DNS. Uh, so one of the projects that we actually presented at a past KubeCon, actually in Copenhagen, uh, was this project called Opticon. And with that project, we modified core DNS to add a plugin to it that actually had uh, proximity awareness and it could respond differently depending on where a request was coming right. from it and to what cluster. And uh, that type of DNS at the edge uh, with some custom logic of how to respond to requests that are coming in via Anycast, I think that's probably what we're gonna see at least initially uh, for our, um, for what we we're trying to accomplish. In the future though, uh, we have you know cool upcoming technologies and networking like segment routing that could actually make this really interesting where you might put a label uh, onto your you know your IPv6 packet to say, hey, get me to my closest uh, my, my closest Panera and this the, the network would actually have some intelligence about how to treat that label. Interesting. Okay, well that's that's from the end user perspective. Now let's let's flip that. And so, what about from the the CI/CD toolchain perspective, right? Because now that makes it a, a different problem. Where CI/CD toolchains right. tool are primarily designed with a single target in mind at the end of it, which is typically some private data center or some public data center. Right. But now, I mean, and some people would even define edge as CDM for compute. That's another way to, th to think about it. So now if I have N targets for my deployment and that N is changing on a daily or weekly, or in some extreme cases, it might even be changing on an hourly basis. Sure. How do you tackle that part of that problem? Yeah, so that's, uh, that's not an easy problem. Um, th that's actually, forget edge for a second, that's not really even solved in cloud very well. Where right. if you had those global data, say you just had a dozen data centers, uh, do you have a dozen CI CD pipelines? Most uh, development teams would say, yes, uh, that's how they do it today. Um, but when you extend to the scale of edge where you have 10,000 edge sites, it's not really scalable anymore to have a separate CI CD pipeline, nor is it necessary to have a separate CI CD pipeline for each one of those sites. Uh, so what I think it comes down to is actually a lot of what the Kubernetes multi-cluster federation community is talking about, where they have this concept of propagation uh, where when you onboard an application to a cluster, you can actually, th through the new Federation V2, this is how it's going to work, uh, set a propagation rule about how to propagate that applications and the containers that are part of that application through many other clusters. And so you have a CICD pipeline, and this is how I think it would work, into maybe your main data center, you know, right. uh, AWS Virginia. And uh, from there, you set up rules about, okay, how do pieces of the app application that gets seeded in Virginia kind of slowly make their way to these, you know, thousands of, of edge sites and with what policy and which parts and how do you change their configuration as they move. Um, but it, it almost becomes like this crazy 
distributed system where actually you're, you're, you're morphing this application as it gets closer to the edge. Yeah, and so, so this is the part where I think this is, this is new for a lot of people, this idea of Kubernetes federation, right? There's kind of, and, and there's kind of two trains of thought on this that, that, that I think the federation one ultimately wins at the scale that we're talking about, right? There's, okay, I have, there, there's some folks that, okay, if I've got on-prem and I've got public cloud where I'm trying to have some mechanism, whether it's layer two networking or it's, it's some magic with Istio, where I'm trying to make the make the public cloud component of that burstable for my private cloud component, right? Where if I, I reach some threshold, I start to exceed whatever my fixed compute capacity is on my public cloud, I merely extend that in the private cloud, I push some of my microservices out there for a little bit, Istio will help me discover them. Once my load has gone down, you know, I tell Istio about it, I turn some of those off, I turn some of those back on, but, so I guess so. So there's the state of that, which is which is you know, nobody nobody's doing that nearly to the right. degree of smoothness that I just described it. And then there's this idea of the federation, where no, 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 that's not how you do it. It's you have like this master cluster that knows about all these other clusters, and you simply do the replication, and then you've got some kind of either DNS or or other kind of mapping that helps helps the microservices then find each other. So. I guess compare and contrast those two approaches sure. a little bit, and and where what the states are of those those two things. Because to me, this is like the really exciting part of where Kubernetes is. Sure. is these fringe cases—I don't want to call it edge cases because I don't want to overload the word <laughs> edge—but like these fringe cases. Of, okay, like you know, we we it's kind of like it, it it's a it's a more difficult problem than you know we went from one Docker host to multiple Docker hosts. Now we we're talking about multiple clusters of hosts and how does that all work out? Yeah, so when we talk about federation, that's really only good for the, the CSED lifecycle problem. So how do I uh, go deploy a new version of my application? But it doesn't solve that other problem that you were just describing, uh, which is, okay, now that my application is de deployed where it normally needs to go, how do I deal with this concept of uh, auto-scaling between sites? Like if I'm getting a lot of requests, I need to move stuff out to the private cloud. That's a really good question. That's a really interesting, like exciting problem. Um, back when I was doing video, actually, we we um, we had this project where we would auto scale video transcoding from a private cluster into the cloud because uh, video transcoding can be very elastic. And we actually tried to predict whether or not we would need to use cloud resources. And that was such a domain specific, you know, decision about when to do that. That it's really hard to figure out. Okay, could we actually generalize this across? this concept of edge computing. So I guess where my head is at now, and I can't guarantee, you know, if we talk again in two months, that it will still be the case. Um, where my head is at now in terms of, of auto-scaling is that you almost have to think of an application as auto-scaling in two dimensions. Um, it can both auto-scale horizontally, and we like to build like horizontally scaling applications that you can add more containers or more VMs in the cloud and handle more load. But that, so that's just one direction. But this other direction, um, which isn't really vertical auto-scaling, but it's, I, I'll call it more, so uh, we'll call it scaling out to the edge or scaling back from the edge. It's like another dimension that you now have available to yourself as a developer or as an application architect that wasn't there before. This concept that, okay, if I'm receiving a high load from Michigan, let me scale out to my data center 
in Michigan. And right. once that um, ed, you know goes away, uh, maybe I can I can scale back for cost reasons because you don't want to be out in, in, um, running everywhere if you don't need to be. Uh, so that concept of scale out and scale back kind of is almost complementary to the concept that we already have of uh, scaling up and scaling down. But it's in a way, it's a harder problem because it involves geography in a way that the other does not. Right. Right. I mean, once you land in a public in a public data center, then we tend to think of that as infinitely horizontal, horizontally scalable, right? Because we right. can throw more CPU memory and storage at that. Right. But when you're trying to reduce the latency, then you know, extending that out, and then does that mean I have ten thousand elk stacks? And how do I, you know, how do how do I gather all that in some meaningful way uh, when something goes wrong? Because something always does go wrong. Um, yeah, right. So, I, yeah, I think this. You're you're right. I think scaling up and down within a single data center um, at now is fairly trivial. Um, you know, maybe not so much ten years ago, but now you know we we've, we've kind of got a good grapple on that problem. Most people call their applications cloud native because they can do that. They can take advantage of auto scaling in the cloud. Uh, but you're right. I mean, scaling out and scaling back, there's so many more uh, parameters to consider there, um, like the implications of doing that um, and like what price you might be willing to pay to get a spot in the very resource constrained edge. Um, I've heard other people kind of define edge as like a resource constrained environment versus cloud, which is not constrained. Um, right. So taking all that into account and feeding an algorithm to say, okay, which metric do I use to trigger a scale out to which locations and uh, under what conditions? Right. Um, I haven't figured that all out in my head yet uh, or gotten a grapple on it. Uh, what, what we've done in the past is really simple. Uh, so, and, and it probably breaks down under, under certain conditions, but just you know, take, take the request load and uh, as you're serving more requests than you can handle from a certain site, don't auto scale within the cloud, but auto scale out to the edge. Uh, but we never made a determination of, okay, a trade off between auto scaling in the cloud versus auto scaling at the edge. And that's something that uh, I think is at least originally going to be very domain specific and eventually some patterns will emerge so that we can build frameworks around auto scaling out and back from the edge. But no, I don't have a hard and fast rule today for, for when to do that. Well, and I think a lot of that has to do with um, well, like you said, it's, it's domain specific, like, like video, right. some of our other guests, when they talked about, about some of the edge stuff was about, you know, you, you talked about video encoding, they were talking about video caching, sure. for example, the, the telcos starting to, to cache, you know, if they've got some cabinet at the, at the base of a cell tower, starting to cache video content there. And, oh, it happens to be the video content of the video content provider that we have this special contract with and right. you know all that kind of stuff that goes on. But then there's also the, okay, if I have a more general purpose and the use case that you and I talked about a, a year ago around my function router project was, okay, what, what, if, what about use cases where I know I'm gonna have a high concentration of people who I know something about them and I know what venue they're gonna be at. So right. we're recording this on the Tuesday after the Rams Chiefs Monday night football blowout, right? That had all those, that had all those points to it. Well, if you've ever been to the LA Memorial Coliseum, that place uh, last night seated about 75,000 people. And how many of them were hitting refresh over and over again 
on the stats for the game that they were watching so that they could get more information about what they were seeing other than what was provided to them on the scoreboards. And if you could edge cache that content and edge cache those requests in the physical stadium, whether it's in a, a, a cabinet, the cell tower or on the routers or, you know, or, or, or same thing. I mean, you and I talked about some of the extreme things. Well, I mean, uh, a Vega slot machine is essentially a Linux server, right? Sure. So if you're sitting at the MGM Grand and you have the same people refreshing that same content during that live event, you know, if you're ESPN or if you're the NFL, what if you could lease some space from somebody who's got the Linux servers out there? What if you could lease space from the MGM Grand casino floor and put your data there and make it so that the guy who's, who's also playing blackjack can can get better, you know, better data on, you know, what Jared, Jared Goff's completion percentage is at the moment. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's the dream is that any application developer has access to any edge. Uh, that would be great. Uh, and then, right, a lot of those things are domain specific. So knowing that you have an event, a concert or, or a game in a particular location and then deciding kind of manually to pre-position your application that in that place. Um, that's one way that CDNs do it today. Like for example, you know, HBO, when they release Game of Thrones, they don't just wait for the uh, request to come in to cache things. They actually work with their CDN providers for pre-position those episodes out at the edge. They know that's gonna happen. So I think, yeah, there's definitely gonna be a class of edge applications, um, especially around events, um, whether you're, I don't know, on-site filming or a sports game or a concert or, or um, even a disaster recovery zone. Um, we, uh, so uh, myself and my team here, were actually part of this uh, innovation challenge at Cisco where we had this idea around uh, uh, edge for disaster relief, oh. where when a disaster happens like a hurricane, actually bringing in edge boxes to host some of the applications that you would then, you know, you might have lost access to because uplinks are down. Um, right. I think event-based edge computing uh, or edge computing for certain events, I think that that's a really compelling use case. Um, but I guess back to the question around, okay, scale out, scale back, what triggers that? Um, you know, maybe maybe for now it, it is domain specific. Uh, I, you know, I, I can think that, you know, maybe, maybe for things like CDN, a lot of those rules are gonna look the same where, okay, if I'm getting some number of requests from a certain location and I know that I could benefit because there are you know, at least a thousand concurrent requests for the same content and I can put a micro cache in LA, uh, then it's not only gonna be you know, Akamai who has that use case, but it's also the other CDN providers. Sure. Uh, then maybe, maybe there's some commonality there, but I think it's still kind of too early to, to start implementing any sort of automated scale out, scale back. Sure, because the general purpose, going against that grain of domain specific is the, is it good enough? Right. 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 It's the, and, and I can forget how far back this goes, but you think about like, um, like, like picture quality and mm -hmm. picture volume, you know, because, because we all have, you know, TV studios in our pockets now, like the, the quality of video of all the video in the world that's taken has, has taken the dip, but for most people, it's good enough. Right. You know, like even even the three of us, our, our lighting for if you're watching the, the YouTube version of this, our lighting for this is OK for what we're doing, but it's not as good as, you know, the next Star Wars movie or whatever. Right. There, there's sure. this notion of good enough. So how many applications are really going to even need the, the ones that need edge computing are really going to need it? And then there's a question of how many are actually going to need it. Right. So because that, good enough, that's a good question. Public cloud is good enough. Right, right. Yeah, so I, I think that there's a trend going on, which is that 
uh, most applications are going to migrate to the to the cloud. And I know you know we see that true. We work in tech, so we you know I kind of assume everything's in the cloud. But you know going out there and talking to customers, it's really not the case. So over the next few years, uh, what is it? 83% of enterprise workloads are going to move to to the to the public cloud. Um, and then the question is, okay, once that happens, uh, there's got to be a certain subset or a certain class of things that maybe have similar properties that can't make that migration or parts of those cloud applications that really shouldn't be in the cloud because they're detrimental to, to the user experience of, right. of those applications. And um, I think those, part, you know, those, those parts of the applications, I, I classify them as you know, they're usually low latency or they consume an incredible amount of bandwidth or those parts require some high level of security or privacy or some right. special story around their resiliency. So th those are kind of like the five uh, reasons I see applications uh, making use of the edge. And for everybody else, I totally agree. You know, cloud is probably going to be good enough. Yeah. So I had that same question written down, Pete, but in a very different way. Okay. And, and, and maybe it's already been answered, but it's funny that we, um, I'm actually feeling really pleased with myself as a marketing doofus that I thought of the same question. <laughs> um, but what I was going to say is, I mean, yeah, as you're talking about this, you know, I know it seems like the drive or the, the need for, for edge computing has largely come from telecom, maybe not entirely, but if I'm an enterprise IT leader, should I be worrying about the edge is what I was wondering. Or is it really just for enterprises that are really seeking and are, you know, continually pushing that, that, um, you know, that performance, uh, you know, an excellence of, in performance, you know, that are always out there pushing for that little competitive advantage they're going to have from providing slightly quicker service? Um, is, or is it something that every IT leader should be thinking about and talking to their teams about and saying, hey, what, is this a problem yet? Should we be watching for it to be a problem? Or do we just want to get ahead of it? Right. Yeah, that, that's a really good question. So who needs to care about edge? Um, I'd argue that the, the, the telecoms care about edge because they see it as an opportunity, not because they've identified a compelling use case for it. Um, but back to the question, uh, everybody needs to be not worried about it, but thinking about it. Uh, every CIO, CTO, tech lead, you know, engineer out there who's making technical decisions and is accountable for the experience of the applications that they deliver or the infrastructure that they deliver needs to have an edge story. And I don't know if this is helpful or not, but I've started thinking of, like you said earlier, uh, everything outside of the cloud being part of the edge. Uh, and because of that, you can imagine that even the server closet that the IT team manages becomes an extension of the cloud. And it's, it's not just a bunch of servers, it's, it's not a bunch of appliance firewalls or VMware. It's really an extension of the cloud where I happen to be running the things that need to be in the office building with me. And those things are usually going to be uh, a, a firewall, uh, a router, uh, and, and a number of you know, specific applications that I need for, for my business. Um, so even in the case of, you know, say, say somebody's, I'll, I'll give it a specific example. So say somebody uh, is the CIO of a structural engineering firm. And that structural engineering firm might have an office in every major city in the U.S. And in that office, you imagine who comes in every day. Uh, there's there's the staff uh, in the front desk, and there's a bunch of engineers. Um, there are a few managers, and then there's an IT staff. And uh, those engineers, they're kind of the core to the business, and they rely on these services, uh, usually provided by companies like Autodesk, right? They they have these these big cloud applications, and then they rely on things that they don't see, like the firewall and the router and WebEx or you know, Google Hangouts or whatever. All of those things require a presence in the structural engineering firm's server closet. 
And by thinking of that server closet almost like a mini cloud as an edge site, uh, we start to get like uh, a lot of consistency between how the IT team is managing cloud software and edge software. And it almost makes things more efficient by thinking of things uh, in, in that way. So yeah, uh, back to the question, everybody should be thinking about what their edge strategy is and maybe bending their, uh, bending their mind a little bit around what are my locations that I have today that are edge sites and should I make them more cloud-like? That's a great answer. Um, it leads me to one more question. Do each of these companies have to solve the problem for themselves or do you feel like there is a kind of, you know, you talked earlier about, you know, that a lot of problems haven't been solved um, and, and it sounded like you were discussing so many different variables. Is it so custom that each company is going to have to kind of come up with a custom solution or do you feel like sooner, sooner than later there's going to be a solution that's kind of generally applicable to help a lot of people? Yeah, so I, I think today, yes. If you go and you, you recognize that you have an edge computing problem, it's going to be uh, a little bit ad hoc. You're going to pull in components from all of these different frameworks, these different providers and vendors, and try to glue together a, a system. There's no clear leader right now in edge computing. Nobody has kind of been crowned you know, the, the winner of the edge computing race, and I don't think anybody will for probably five years. Uh, we won't have a VMware of edge computing within the next year or so. But eventually, I think we might. Uh, I think eventually, uh, two, of th two things might happen. Either one of the cloud providers becomes the leader in edge, and they provide a compelling enough solution that all edge compute runs on their platform. Uh, so for example, Google has released their uh, you know, early access to their you know, GKE on-prem. Uh, AWS has started making motions around doing things on-prem. Microsoft already has their Azure stack which runs on-prem, uh, those are all kind of trending in that direction. And if one of those wins out as, okay, I need to some, run something that's not in the cloud, I'm going to default to Azure, Azure Stack, uh, then Microsoft has won that game. They've won the edge compute game. Um, the other possibility in the future is, and, and I hope this is the case, where we, <laughs> we don't wind up giving more power to the big three, right? We wind up with another player here that has not yet, yet emerged, who is the edge cloud uh, provider, uh, where they're the ones who are amalgamating all of these or aggregating all of these you know, various edge sites and presenting them as a contiguous whole so that developers can run things on them. But I, I really just hope for the sake of competition that it's, it's not one of the big three, although maybe that's inevitable. I love that. Thank you. You took care of, that was going to be my next question. Who is making the most headway in this area? And I think you, you answered it. Pete, sorry to step in there and uh, derail your, your train, but uh, we're running out of time. Keep that in mind, sir. We're at about, we're running out. I guess there was one more I, I promised that during the, the, the prep that I was going to ask you, IoT versus Edge. Do you have like a 30 to 60 second answer to that one? Sure, yeah. So a lot of people conflate IoT and Edge. Uh, that was actually happening a little bit in the Kubernetes community. And even talking to customers and uh, people in the industry, there's a little bit of conflation there around, okay, you're doing edge computing, so what IoT devices are you integrating with or what framework are you looking at? Uh, but they're not the same thing. IoT is one really compelling use case of edge computing, and we need to run IoT gateways at the edge, but they're probably one of you know, 10 compelling use cases that, that could get the edge going uh, and, and not, the, not the one and only. Like Excellent. That. That was a quick answer, probably quicker than it needed to be. And so I'm going to use I'm going to use a couple I'm going to use a few of those leftover seconds to ask Pete a question that has been bothering me for the past several episodes. Uh -oh. 
<laughs> Sometimes when you're speaking and you're moving your head around, I'm trying to read that poster behind you, that framed front page of the, it appears to be of a newspaper. Oh, what is oh, it, it? Is. This, and why is it framed? This is so. This, this is because of the the Rams Chiefs game last night. This is this is perfect timing. It's it's a framed copy of the Times Picune the day after the Saints won the Super Bowl. Because when you when you marry into a Saints family, you stay a Saints fan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mystery solved of the the very small percentage of our guests that uh, or of our our audience that that watches versus listens. Now you know because I can't have been the only person so, who's yeah. trying to peek around your head and read that. It's Drew Brees holding the Lombardi Trophy. Nice, and that was a heck of a game last night. As, if you stayed as, up to watch, you know there there's no greater dream for Saints fans than to win the Vince Lombardi Trophy in the home stadium of the Atlanta Falcons. So let's I'll I'll. <laughs> that says a lot about about that. You'll leave it there, huh? Great. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for being on today. I think you added um, a lot of great points to our edge discussion, and I know I've learned a lot. And um, and I, I I appreciate that uh, you and Pete were able to explore some of the finer points of this, um, looking into those use cases and whatnot. And I hope it's it's useful to the IT leaders out there that are that are struggling their way through this right now and and trying to figure out where they're supposed to be progress wise on cloud, multi-cloud, and cloud-native computing at the edge. So thank you so much. Uh, we, we enjoyed having your company. Thanks, Thank hope you. to have you back. Thanks a lot. I appreciate the time. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye, Pete. Bye.